0: First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples
1: here and everywhere for the glory of God.
2: Good morning, church. If you have your Bibles today, and I hope you do, would you turn with me to Matthew chapter five? Matthew chapter five, we are in the middle of an important five-week stretch in the life of our church where we're talking about uh, what God has in store for the future of our church. Uh, both with regard to our new worship center that's under construction uh, right now uh, and with regard to uh, future church planting. Uh, This is really the beginning of a three-year effort uh, for us as a church that, as you heard, we're calling greater things for the next 100. And uh, as Mitch shared earlier, again, tomorrow night is when our family devotions begin. And so, Over the next 10 days, we're praying as uh, individuals, as couples, as families, and we're asking the Lord this question, how he's calling us to grow, go, and give for the next 100. Uh, And I just know that uh, in two weeks, on our commitment Sunday, on October the 10th, if each of us are just obedient to the Lord, uh, to what the Lord has called us to do in these areas, that he will provide all that is needed. And those words, grow, go, and give, are so important to the vision uh, that God has given to us becoming a reality that we're taking time to study one of those words each week uh, in worship. Last week, we uh, talked about what it means to grow in our relationship with the Lord. Uh, Next week, we're going to look at the last word and talk about what it means to sacrificially give for the sake of the kingdom. But today is our go week. And so we're talking today about what it means to go, what it means to live on mission for our King. And I'm looking forward to our time in the Word today because the Lord has not called us uh, to sit around and do nothing. He has not called us as believers to just go through our life, to go through the motions and not to make an impact for the Lord. He has saved us and He has called us to go. To make a difference in this world. And we're going to see that very clearly in God's Word today. Uh, every week in this series, we're studying a different portion of the greatest sermon that was ever preached, Jesus's Sermon on the Mount, that's found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Today, we're going to look at a few verses here in Matthew 5 that I'm pretty sure all of us have heard at one point or another. Uh, Matthew 5, Beginning in verse 13, Jesus said this, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a lampstand And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Father, this is our prayer today. We desire, we long to be that salt and light that you have called us to be. Father, would you speak to our hearts now? Would you work in our lives that we might live on mission for you? We ask it in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Again, one of the things that our whole church is praying about in these weeks, especially, is how God is calling us to go. Uh, But what does that really mean? What, What does it mean to go and live on mission for Christ? Well, first off, based on what Jesus said here in verse 13, going means being salt wherever we are going means being salt wherever we are. Jesus famously said to everyone on that hillside that day at the uh, shore of the Sea of Galilee, the words we see there in verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But before we talk about what that means, let's remember where Jesus was in his great sermon when he spoke those words. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at the first 12 verses of Matthew 5, which include the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. We talked about each of those characteristics that you see in verses 3 through 10, what is normally called the Beatitudes. And those are qualities that are essential to live a blessed, truly happy life. They're qualities that Jesus, of course, exhibited to perfection As we talked about a couple weeks ago, they are also very counter-cultural qualities. Uh, Really, the folks who live in our world who do not know Christ did not really desire or aspire to be poor in spirit. They did not aspire to be meek. They did not long to mourn over sin or anything else. They did not uh, want to hunger and thirst for anything. And so not only does the rest of the world not want to live this way, Jesus says, if we live that way, the rest of the world is likely not to like that very much. And in verses 11 and 12, he says, if we live that way, they will probably persecute us and say all kinds of evil against us for his sake. And so this is what Jesus has just gotten done saying. You know, if the Sermon on the Mount ended right there at the end of verse 12, we might be tempted to think, you know, Jesus has called us to live such a countercultural lifestyle. And then he told us that the rest of the world isn't going to like that very much. And so we might be tempted to think, you know, what we probably need to do is we probably just need to maybe separate ourselves a little bit from the world you know, kind of get away from the world, maybe kind of get out into the desert somewhere, live in a cave someplace where we can live out these beatitudes on our own without the world getting mad at us. And of course, you know that there have been many believers over the centuries who have done exactly that, who have moved out into the desert, moved out into a cave because they thought that was how they could best live out the Christian life. But the Sermon on the Mount doesn't end after verse 12. And in verses 13 through 16, Jesus makes it very clear that that is not what he wants us to do. He's not calling us to escape the world. He's not calling us to isolate ourselves from the world. Instead, he's calling us to have an impact on this world. And both of the illustrations that he uses here, salt and light, are designed to drive that truth home. So first, thinking about salt, whatever value, whatever function salt had in the world of Jesus' day, he intends that we as believers would have that same kind of function and impact in our world right now. And so in Jesus' day, as we think about that, there were two primary uses of salt. The first use of salt was that it was used as a preservative. Remember that in Jesus's day, they did not have GE or Maytag or Whirlpool. Uh, They didn't have refrigerators. They did not have deep chest freezers. And so if you wanted to preserve food, particularly if you wanted to preserve any kind of meat, you had to rub it in salt and pack it in salt in order for it to last. Salt both then and now acts as a preservative. Uh, Again, at that time, if you didn't use salt, Uh, That food would be rotten in no time. It would putrefy. And certainly this is one of the things (laughs) that Jesus had in mind when he said to his disciples and he said to us, you are the salt of the earth. He wants us to be the kind of salt that preserves a putrefying world. You know, when I was in a college at Florida State, uh, there was a time I lived with, with several roommates in an apartment off campus. One of my roommates was Pastor Jason Mole, our kids pastor here. We had a couple other uh, guys that uh, were friends of ours that we lived with as well. And, uh, and of course, as you can imagine, when you get four single guys living in an apartment, cleanliness and sanitation is not really at a high level. Right. We need our wives to kind of help us with that. Right. To kind of bring that up a little bit. But we were four single guys and not very clean. And so I remember one time we bought some kind of fruit. I, I, I think it was a watermelon. I asked Pastor Jason this morning. He thought it was a watermelon, too. We bought this this watermelon. We set it up on the, the counter and we, we didn't you know, we didn't slice it. We didn't eat it. And we left it there for so long that we all knew it had kind of gone rotten. We we knew that we weren't going to eat it, but we were just so lazy, none of us threw it away. And so we just left it sitting there. I literally think it was there for months, sitting on top of the counter, until eventually one day the bottom of that just completely rotted out. There was rotten watermelon juice all over the counter, dripping down onto the apartment floor. The reality is, though, as we look at our world and the landscape of what is going on because of sin in this world, this world is as rotten as that watermelon was. All you have to do is open the paper or turn on the news and you will see some stinky watermelon juice dripping down onto the ground. The world is rotten and the world is getting more rotten by the day. But Jesus intends that we who have been saved by his grace that we who have been called to live differently would be like salt, would be a preservative, and that we would slow down the rot. Sometimes in history, Sinclair Ferguson points out that this happened on a large scale, happened even on a nationwide scale. If you think about things like the Great Awakening that took place, where that rot is slowed, in a great way all across the country as people turn to Christ and hear the message of the Lord. But most often it happens on a much smaller scale. It happens when individual believers live differently than those around them. Think of Joseph living in Potiphar's house. We live by different rules. We live to please a different king. And so our lives look different. And that difference has an impact on everybody in the house, everybody in our workplace, all of our friends. They're able to see that difference. Now they won't always like that and they won't always understand it. But again, like salt that preserves, we're called to be a preservative in the world. Jesus has also called us like salt to flavor A tasteless world. That's the other thing that salt does. It adds flavor. And people have seemingly understood that about salt uh, since forever. In fact, one of the oldest books in the Bible, the book of Job, in Job chapter 6, this is what Job said. He said, can flavorless food be eaten without salt? And no, Mr. Job, it cannot. And, of course, he knows that. It's a rhetorical question, right? Everybody knows that, right? You try to eat some rice without salt on it. You try to eat some potato without salt on it. You try to eat just about anything without salt on it, right? It's like drinking tea without sugar. It just should not be done. (laughs) I think Jesus had this in mind when he said, you are the salt of the earth. We should be adding flavor to this world. And the flavor that we should be adding is the flavor of Christ. When we go about our lives in this world, we should be adding, right? Think of it. We should be adding a dollop of kindness. We should be adding a pinch of grace. We should be adding a dash of humility. We should be adding a tablespoon of love. We should be adding a cup of joy to every conversation, to every interaction that we have. The flavor that we should bring with us is the flavor of Jesus Christ. And this broken world without the flavor of Christ in it is like tasteless gruel. There is nothing in this world apart from Christ that will satisfy the deepest longings of our soul. But you, Christian, you and me and all of our brothers and our sisters are called to change that. We're called to bring the zest of Christ with us. We're the ones, when we show up for the meal in this world, are supposed to bring the salt. And when Jesus says to bring the salt, what he really says, if you look at the language he uses, is you are the salt. In other words, he's not calling us to be something that we're not. He's just telling us to be who we already are in him. You are the salt of the earth. Next, he says in verse 14, you are the light of the world. Not only does going mean being salt wherever we are, going also means being light wherever we are. And if you stop and think about it, that's a pretty remarkable thing for Jesus to say to us because in John chapter eight, Jesus says that about himself. In John chapter eight, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He is the light of the world. But then in the rest of that verse, he says, He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. In other words, when we come to know Christ, when we accept him as our Savior and our Lord, he comes to live within us by the presence of his Holy Spirit. And now we have his light living in us. Paul said it this way in Ephesians 5. He said, For you were once darkness. Before we met Christ, we were in darkness just as the rest of the world. But then he says, now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. So as we talk about this concept of being the light of the world, we need to never forget that we're not the light of the world on our own. Now, Jesus is the light of the world. And when we come to know him, he gives us his light. Here Christ says he wants us to let that light shine for all to see. He gives us two images to think about that. In verse 15, he talks about how in a first century home... Uh, they would take a a little oil lamp and they would put it up high. They'd put it up on a lamp stand uh, so that even though it was a dim light, it it would give out as much light as possible. It would illuminate the house. Again, we need to remember what it was like to live in the first century. Thomas Edison hadn't been born yet, right? You couldn't walk into a home and flick on a light switch and all the lights in the house come on. No, if you didn't have a lamp, an oil lamp burning in your house at night, it would be pitch black in your house at nighttime. Those who were listening to Jesus had experienced that many times, right? You know what it's like after a hurricane comes through and knocks out all the power. That's how it was for them every night. Jesus says, let your light shine. Set it up on a lampstand. To give light to the house. In verse 14, he uses the image of a city that's set on a hill and how it cannot be hidden. Again, we have trouble kind of relating to that because if we live today, of course, in an industrialized society. We live in a city where there's lights on all the time, right? Even you drive down the street, there's, there's street lights on. There's lights coming from signs and businesses. There's lights everywhere in our neighborhoods. And, and so unless you've lived out in a rural place or unless, you know, you like camping a lot and you go out far away from the lights of the city, you might not have experienced what they experience all the time which is being in a place where it is so dark. Think of a, a night where there's a new moon, hardly any light, so dark that when you hold up your hand, you can't see it six inches in front of your face. But Jesus says, if you see a city in the distance that the lights are burning, the torches are burning and it's casting up that light on the clouds and it radiates out and you can see some of that light even from miles around. I think about sometimes when I'm driving back home, maybe from Kissimmee or being over in Orlando. And if you take 192 uh, to come back, particularly from Kissimmee, you know, there's times where you drive down that road and uh, there's some pretty desolate areas along that road where there's not a lot of Lights or street lights. Sometimes you're like the only car, right? Driving there at night and driving in just total darkness except for your headlights that are in front of you until you kind of get closer to Melbourne, right? You get closer to Melbourne, you start to see the lights of the city there stretching out to the north and to the south. And Jesus says that he intends for us to be like that. He intends for our church. He intends for our families. He intends for each of us as individuals to be like that city that's set on a hill. That those who are living in darkness can see that light. And we don't have to wonder what he means by that. What he means when he says you're the light of the world. Because he tells us in verse 16, he says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So when he says, Let your light shine, when he says, You're the light of the world, that is what he means. He, he means that he wants us to live out the good works that he has created us and saved us to do the good works that Ephesians said he has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He wants us to, to live that way. That's what letting our light shine means. And why do we do those things? Do we do those good works so that people will see that and think, man, what an awesome guy that is. Man, what an awesome lady that is. No, that's not the ultimate goal of it. Now, the ultimate goal is what Jesus says here, that they would see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That at the end of the day, there is an evangelistic intent with the way that we live our lives. That people might see that light that Christ has given to us and that they would be drawn not to us, but to him. That they would glorify their Father in heaven who created them and died to save them. That is Is our prayer. Jesus clearly wants us to have an impact on the world around us. He's called us to go. He wants us to be salt and light. The problem is, and you can see it in these verses, that oftentimes we don't live that way. John Stott points out that both of these illustrations are followed by a writer, they're followed by a condition on which that affirmation stands. Jesus says, You're the salt of the earth. But make sure you stay salty. Jesus says you're the light of the world, but make sure you don't hide your light. And so going for Christ, yes, it means being salt and light. But first of all, when it comes to salt, Jesus says salt is useless if it's contaminated. Now, when Jesus says in verse 13, if salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned again? Many people have pointed out that salt, sodium chloride, is a pretty stable compound. It really doesn't easily lose its saltiness. It is what it is. But it can be contaminated when it is mixed with impurities actually in the Dead Sea region, very near to where Jesus was speaking, there was a readily available mineral salt that was not pure, that was mixed with gypsum, mixed with other minerals. And even whatever sodium chloride was in that mixture was the most easily dissolvable part of that mixture. And so it could wash away. And what you're left with is a white powdery substance that looks like salt. People still called it salt, but it didn't taste like salt. And it didn't preserve anything like salt either. So it looked like salt, but it wasn't. Jesus said at that point, it's good for nothing but to be thrown out on the road and trampled underfoot by men. Church, this is a warning to us. It is a warning to make sure that we do not get contaminated with the things of this world, with the impurities of this world. As one person put it, our saltiness is really nothing other than our Christ-likeness. Let's make sure that we don't lose that. Let's make sure we don't start living in a way that is indistinguishable from the way the world lives because if we do that, then we will not have the impact that he wants us to have. Salt is useless if it's contaminated, and a light is useless if it's concealed. You know, the whole point of light is that you can see it. Whole point of light is that it's visible, that it lights up the darkness, and that, that's what light is for. It's supposed to shine. Far too often today, the church isn't having the impact we were intended to have precisely because we're doing the exact opposite of what Jesus said. Instead of letting our light shine, we are hiding it, and we're hiding it under a basket. There might be different reasons for that for different folks in the room. It could be because we're afraid to live out our faith, it could be because we have allowed the things of this world to come in and distract us thorns and thistles, the cares of this life. But I know the world is a dark place, and it seems to be getting darker. How are those who don't know Jesus going to see him if they can't see him and you and me? Friend, here's the question I want to ask you. If the only light your unsaved friend was able to see was the light coming from you, would it be bright enough for them to see Jesus? Let me ask that again. If the only light your unsaved friend could see is the light coming from you, is it bright enough for them to see Jesus? We've seen so far, Jesus wants us, he has commanded us to be salt and light. That's his plan for the church to have an impact on this world is for us to live out who we are in Christ and there really is no other plan. He's called us to be salt and light. And light, To live like that every single day. But on this Go Week, we also need to see this truth today. Going means being salt and light wherever Jesus sends us. We know that for every Christian here today, Jesus has saved us and he has sent us. We have a mission that he's created and saved us for. Many of us have been wearing in our wrist a bracelet for almost a year now that has the words on mission on it. On the other side of that bracelet, it has this verse, John 20, 21, where Jesus said, Peace to you as the Father has sent me, so I send you. We've all been sent. Wherever we're sent, we're called to be salt and light. The question for us to think about today is where have we been sent? Well, no doubt some are sent right here. Some are sent right here. You know, the folks that made up the crowd that day that Jesus first gave the Sermon on the Mount, many of them came from villages and towns that were around the Sea of Galilee. At the end of chapter four, verse 25, it says some of them came from the 10 cities, from the Decapolis. Some came from Jerusalem, Judea, across the Jordan. So they came from a variety of different places. But no doubt when Jesus talked about them being salt and light, his intention was that many of them would go back to their homes Homes, go back to their villages, go back to their towns and be salt and light right there. For those who lived in those towns and villages to see, many of us in this room in God's sovereign plan have been sent to Melbourne and Palm Bay. And he's calling us to live our life on mission to be salt and light right here. And he has put us here in his sovereign plan because he loves those in Melbourne and Palm Bay who don't know Jesus Christ. he longs to see them saved. And he is scattering you and me. He's scattering us in our workplaces and in our neighborhoods and all the places that we go throughout the week. He's scattering us like salt out of the salt shaker so that we could point folks to Christ where they'll find saving life and hope in him. Again, many of us have been sent here, but not everyone is sent here at least in the long term, because the Lord also loves those who live in other places, those who live in faraway places. He loves those who live in places where they have less access to the gospel than we have right here. Some of us are sent elsewhere. Sometimes God wants to pick up that salt shaker that I just mentioned, and he wants to take that salt shaker and he wants to sprinkle some of that salt somewhere else. Sometimes he wants to take one of those oil lamps. He wants to take one of those candles that's right now sitting here in Melbourne. He wants to pick it up and he wants to move it and set it on a different hillside so that people who are living right now in utter darkness can see that light. Some have been sent elsewhere. In fact, we know some have been sent to the nations. And we know that, first of all, we know that because of even what Jesus said right here in the Sermon on the Mount. Notice he did not say to them, you are the light of Galilee. He did not say, you are the light of Israel. What what did he say? You are the light of the world. Right, that is the breadth and the scope of the mission field that Jesus had in mind. And that really sets us up for what he says at the end of Matthew's gospel in Matthew 28, right before Jesus ascends to the Father. He said these famous words, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. He said something very similar in Acts chapter 1, verse eight. He said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. If we're going to be obedient to that command in the 21st century to make disciples of all nations, to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth, then he is calling some to go to the ends of the earth. And is it possible that even right now he is calling more than are saying yes? There are places in this world where the need is so great where people live in such thick spiritual darkness that there is hardly a light flickering for them to see. There are 2 billion people in this world, it is estimated, who live and die without ever hearing the name of Jesus Christ. Who will take the light to them? There are 3,126 people groups in this world, distinct sociolinguistic groups of people who our mission board considers to be unreached and unengaged. Let me tell you what that means. Unreached means that they have less than 2% Christians living in that people group. Unengaged means that there are no missionary church planters that we know of who are sharing the gospel among them and planting churches among them. Unreached and unengaged. Over 3,000 people groups in the world, and here's where they live. You can see it represented by the dots on that map. Many of them are in Africa. Many of them are in India, many are in the Middle East, some are in the Far East, some are in Europe. Who will take the gospel to them? My prayer is, so I was thinking about those who live in such places this week. It's the words of Isaiah chapter 9. It was a prophecy that was fulfilled with the coming of Jesus. This is what Isaiah wrote. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. That, that great light that Isaiah was talking about has come, hasn't it, church? That great light shone when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. That light shone when he was crucified on the cross. That light shone on that first Easter Sunday morning when he rose up from the dead. That light has shone, but there are people in this world who have not seen it who live in darkness. And my prayer is that on them a light would shine. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. That light only shines if some of the light goes there. Again, I I know that we're not all called to go to the nations. I I believe at this time that that God has called me to be here, that he's called me to pastor this church in, in Melbourne. I believe I'm in the center of his will in doing that. But I want you to know, this is something I regularly pray about. Lord, are you calling me to go to the nations for the sake of the gospel? And I believe that if He were to call me or He were to call my family to go, that as far as I know my heart, that we would go. Brother or sister, I want to ask you this. Have you ever in your Christian life up until this moment ever asked God if he's calling you to go? If not, would you make that your prayer? Would you ask him, Lord, I see the spiritual darkness that is in this world. Are you calling me to go to a place where there is no light? That I might be the light of the gospel there. So we think about being sent to be salt and light elsewhere. Again, some will be sent to the nations. I'm praying more and more in our church in the years to come would answer that call and would go to the nations. I believe also as we think about being salt and light elsewhere, outside of this context, that some have been called to be a part of a new church plant. Of course, that's a central part of our greater things vision and it really is rooted in the word of God. It's what we've seen even in this last year as we've studied the book of Acts. Acts that healthy churches reproduce. We we saw that with the church at Antioch in Acts 13, where we read these words, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. And then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. And so the church at Antioch listened to the voice of the Spirit. They sent away Saul that we better know as Paul, And Barnabas, to the work God had called them to do, in the next chapter they report, this is the report from Luke about what they did on this mission trip. When they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed." Now notice those words right there, when they had appointed elders in every church. In other words, what were Paul and Barnabas doing? They were not just sharing the gospel and leaving individual isolated believers. No, they were planting new churches in every city that they went to where there were not churches before. And then they established elders, leadership in that church to carry on that work even after they were gone. So they were church planters. God has called us to do the same work in the 21st century from right where we are in Melbourne, Florida. I believe he wants to take some of the salt that is in our church and he wants to sprinkle it in some other places. In some pockets of lostness that are around us in the Space Coast and in some of the major cities of the United States in the years to come. You know, today, instead of just talking about church planting in an abstract way, I'm thankful that we can talk about it in a very concrete, tangible way because we have some church planters among us that God has already called that will be going out from us, Lord willing, at the end of this year to plant a church. And I wanted you to be able to hear from them this week on this Go Week. And so church, would you welcome Cody and Kristen Chester, our church planters, as they come at this time. Hey guys, good to see y'all. Thank y'all for joining me here and um, yeah, I just wanted to take a minute to be able to talk with you guys about what God is doing. I know as we we think about y'all kind of going out at the end of this year to plant a church that this is not, this isn't just a journey that like started yesterday, right? This is something that I know part of your story. This has been going on a long time in your life, this call. And so maybe could you share a little bit of that story with our folks here today?
1: Uh, Well, years ago, God placed individual callings on mine and Cody's hearts to be a part of a church plant in Metro Manila, Philippines. And then in 2010, God unified those calls when he brought Cody and I together. Um, The first step in our journey was a six-month missions internship that turned into eight years of ministry at Central Baptist Church in Sulphur Springs, Texas. Uh, During those years, Cody was able to serve as the youth pastor, the associate pastor, and the interim pastor. Uh, we didn't understand God's plan at the time, um, but uh, looking back, we can see how God used those years to shape us and to prepare us for what he has in store for us.
0: And even, even along the course of those eight years, um, we never lost sight of that call. You know, we always knew that God had church planting in our future. We knew that for a fact. We just didn't know when. And in July of 2018, I was sitting at my desk uh, at the church, going over the church's finances, and God just very strongly impressed upon my heart that now is the time. And so I went home and told Kristen, and uh, we began to pray together. And um, by um, October uh, 2018, God had shown us that we were supposed to be in Florida. That's when we uh, were introduced to you guys through a mutual friend of ours. Um, and we went online, watched the uh, launch pad video, we really caught that vision. And over the course of a year of talking to Aaron Still, God really confirmed that. Uh, he was leading us to move here, and so in November 2019, right before COVID, uh, we packed up and, and moved our family here. So,
2: Awesome, I've been here two years now, preparing, being part of a launch pad, January coming on as our resident here this year. And I know God has been tugging at your heart, particularly uh, thinking about that southern area of Brevard County. I know we've shared a church family with you that we're praying about potentially a merger with Calvary Baptist in Grant, kind of replanting uh, them uh, there. But even if the Lord closes that door, I know that it's still your heart one way or another that that a new work would begin there in the Grant-Valkaria area. Maybe share a little bit about that, why why you feel like the Lord has led you to that particular area.
0: So when we moved here a couple of years ago, we knew for sure Brevard County, we just didn't know where in Brevard County. Uh, So as we began to uh, explore on our own, pray, uh, and talk to other people in the area, we quickly found out that the further south you go in uh, Brevard County, it seems like the the number of churches uh, gets more scarce. And so uh, if you get down there into that southeastern corner of Brevard County, there's very little um, in the way of evangelistically effective uh, ministries. And so that is only exacerbated by the fact that in just a few years, Emerald Lakes is going to grow the population down there is going to explode and there being no effective church, uh, at least to the best of our knowledge, effective evangel- evangelistically effective church in that area. Mm-hmm. And so uh, our goal, um, our call from God is to be down there, plant a church, a healthy, uh, sustainable, life-giving church in that area so that when that population grows,
2: we're ready mm-hmm. to reach it. Oh, as we shared our heart with you, our heart is not to send, you know, just you you two guys (laughs) kind of on your own, but to send you with a team of brothers and sisters uh, from our church that have been called to step out. And really, you know, we haven't made that appeal to our church as a whole yet uh, to join you guys as a part of that core team. Really, that appeal is today. Today is that appeal. (laughs) We're asking you to pray about that and whether God is calling you to go uh, with uh, with Cody and Kristen. But I know it's been exciting. Already God has touched people's hearts, though, uh, over this last year. Maybe share about that, kind of just the encouragement of that.
1: Well, God has brought several families into our lives. And um, Pastor, you said that it requires the best to go. And God is truly providing those people even before we've officially begun assembling our core team. Um, God has sent us uh, some incredible people with a variety of different gifts and talents, um, but they all have that same passion to reach South Brevard with the gospel. Uh, Some of them are musically gifted, others are administratively gifted, um, while others are extremely hospitable, but they all have great character and influence. Mm. Um, We are just truly excited because we feel like God's assembling a dream team of people with phenomenal hearts. Mm. Uh, Some of them will be key leaders, like an administrative pastor and a children's and youth pastor, while others will be lay leaders. Um, We are also in the process of developing a small worship team. We currently have 11 adults and six kids that have committed to go, and we've had a chance to uh, meet with each couple to share Cody's vision for the church plant and to solidify their call to go. Uh, and we—they uh, have caught on to that vision, and we're just praying that more people will come alongside us and join our team to reach South Brevard. That's awesome.
2: Well, I know we're at the beginning of the year in January, when we introduced Cody as our church planner, I shared with him and shared with our church. Uh, that Cody and Kristen had full permission to talk to anybody in our church and invite them to go. Uh, the only one that you're not allowed to take is my wife, Megan. I do kind of do want her here with, with me, but anybody else that, that prays about it feels led to go. And so it's exciting to see the Lord already answering that prayer and uh, building a great team. And so Cody, maybe just share, if there's folks who are listening today uh, who are here in the room watching online, God's tugging at their heart and they're saying, I, I feel like maybe, maybe God's calling me to be a part of this church plan in Southern Brevard. Maybe they live in that area. What would kind of be the next step for them?
0: Yeah, so I would just encourage anybody that is feeling led in that direction to really commit that to prayer. I mean, if, if um, you uh, are thinking about going with us, we definitely want to make sure that that is God's will uh, for your life. So commit that to prayer. Uh, let us know so that we can pray with you, so that we can talk with you and to and come alongside you as you work out that call of God on your life. Uh, but also on October 20th, we're having an interest meeting where we will lay out the, the vision. You'll get to meet the team that's already been assembled. Uh, that's on an, uh, Wednesday night, October 20th at 630, uh, right here across the hallway. And so we would encourage you uh, to come to that to find out more information uh, about the church plant. Awesome.
2: It's going to be exciting to see what God does as, uh, over these next few months. And looking forward to, to December on that day. When we'll have an opportunity, again, Lord willing to be able to commission you guys as a core team to go out uh, to start this, this new work. And I want to take a moment uh, here as we conclude this time just uh, in prayer. And I uh, want to ask you to pray about some specific things uh, on the commitment card uh, that you received in, in the packet. And I've got one here, you know, in the middle section of that card where the red is, you see that word go. And there's some specific questions on this commitment card that we're asking our whole church to pray about. Not everyone will be led to check one of these boxes, but we're asking you to pray about that. And uh, the first uh, box that you'll see there, it says, uh, I want to learn more about our next church plan." Well, that's this church plant with Cody and Kristen. And so uh, if you check that box, they're going to invite you to come to that interest meeting to hear more and to just begin that process of, of praying about that potential call to go uh, here to Southern Boulevard. There's another box on here that says, I want to learn more about a future church plant. And uh, so maybe God's leading you to check that. Maybe it isn't this particular opportunity that he's leading you to, but he's leading you to, to begin getting prepared to go out on one of our other church plants. Again, Lord willing, we hope to plant one church per year for the next 10 years. That means that a lot of us over the next 10 years will have to be willing to go in order for that to be a reality. And I just want to share with you kind of what we're praying for. We're praying on that first question. We're praying for 30 individuals in our church who would be willing to go and be a part of the core team with Cody and Kristen. We're already partway there, praise God. But we're praying for God to raise up some others even in the next few weeks. Uh, re- regarding that second question about folks entering into the launch pad and being trained for fir- future church plants. We're praying for a, We have a big goal there. We're praying for between 100 and 200 folks in our church, e- even in the next few weeks, who would say, I- I'm willing to come to an interest meeting and hear more about being equipped and being prepared to be a far- part of a, t- a future church plant. And then the last question on that go section says, I want to learn more about international missions. Now, maybe as I shared about that today and shared about the call to be a light to the nations, God is tugging at your heart. That that might be for a short term, that might be for a midterm, to go for a year or a two-year stint, or it might be to go as a career missionary to the nations, to those who have not heard. And again, we're asking you to ask that question of the Lord in these days. God, are you calling me to go? I wanna ask you to bow your heads with me if you would and just to, to take a moment and to pray. To pray and ask God, are you calling me to go to the nations? Are you calling me to go to be a part of a church plan? Even if you know God's calling you to, to be salt and light right here as a part of our church in, in Melbourne and Palm Bay, would you ask him right now, how are you calling me, God, to be that salt and that light? How are you calling me to live on mission in a different way maybe that I'm living on mission right now? Just let him speak to your heart. And in just a minute, I'll close this in prayer. Father, we praise you today that you are a going and sending God. We thank you, Father, for sending your son Jesus, that he came and left the glories of heaven, that he took on flesh and dwelt among us, that he went to the cross, that he died for us, that we might be saved. Father, thank you that you send us, that you've given us a mission We have a purpose in this world to glorify you, to delight in you, to introduce others to you, to let our light shine. Father, we want our hearts to be open before you at all times. Father, wherever you want to take the salt that we are and and sprinkle it, Father, we we want you to sprinkle it there. Wherever you want our light to shine, we, we want to be faithful, we want to be obedient to you. If it's here, Father, let it shine brightly here so that others might see. Father, if it's somewhere else, if it's on a church plan, Father, if it's among the nations, Father, we we wanna go, we want to shine for you. Oh Lord, we thank you that your son Jesus is the light of the world. Shines in the darkness, a light that cannot be quenched. Lord, we pray for your servants, Cody and Kristen. We thank you for them. Thank you for their willingness to surrender to your call on their lives, to move here from Texas, Father, to become a part of our church family these last couple of years, and now to be willing to step out again, to lead something and start something new. Bless them. Use them in great ways, we ask in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Church family, do you thank Cody and Kristen for joining us here today? Thank you guys so much. As we move into a time of just worship here, I just want to invite you, if God is speaking to you and maybe you would say, you know what, I know you said that there's some boxes I can check on a card and I can turn that in in two weeks, but pastor, I don't want to wait two weeks because God just spoke to me just now. And as I was praying, he spoke to me. I, I know that I'm supposed to go to the nations and I don't want to put that off. I need to come and I, I need to let that be known right now. Maybe God spoke to you. You know that he's calling you to go with Cody and Kristen. Or you know that he's calling you to be equipped to go on a future church plant. You can come right now and share that with me or one of the other pastors that's here. Maybe, maybe you're here today and God is speaking to you about surrendering your heart and your life to Jesus for the very first time. Believing in him, accepting what he did for you at the cross, making him your Lord and your Savior. You can come and share that as well. Let's stand together. Let's worship the Lord. You come if God has spoken to you.